Well, some of you will know that I used to be a youth worker. For many years, I worked with teenagers, and it was in the context of youth ministry that I actually felt a call to pastoral ministry. There's something about being with teenagers, listening to their stories, their questions about faith, about life, about identity, that really allowed me to come alive, and I I thoroughly enjoyed it. But one of the disturbing, sobering discoveries I made as a young youth worker was to recognize the, the massive diversity and discrepancies in my youth group. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, different ethnicities or socioeconomic and so on and so forth. That was part of it. But the massive discrepancies that I saw in my very youth group. For example, I had kids who came from very secure and stable families. And that, that gave them a sense of safety and security. And I had other kids in my youth group that were from homes that were pure chaos. There was tension and there was conflict and you would see it on their faces when they came to youth group and then knowing they would go home to that. I had students who attended private schools, some of the finest in the area. They had access to tutors. And I had other students who actually had to work to help their parents pay bills. We had students who never, ever thought twice about access to food. And then I had other students who came hungry because they hadn't eaten all day. We had students in our youth group that constantly thought about ethnicity and race because it was often used against them, sometimes in jokes and sometimes in more overt ways, and other students never had to worry about that. Why was it, I thought to myself as a young youth worker, that some kids, through no merit of their own, had so many resources and so many advantages, and other kids, through no fault of their own, had so many challenges and obstacles to to flourish? Life is not fair, I would tell myself. But that didn't feel very satisfying and kind of defeatist. As a young youth worker, I wrestled with this thought, something isn't right. This is not the way it's supposed to be. And I wondered, does my faith have have anything to say to this? Let me ask you that question as we look at, at discrepancies in our world Does our faith in Jesus Christ have anything to say to us? Does it shape us in how we might respond to these challenges that we see? Well, today we're concluding our series, uh, our vision series, and we're looking at what it means to be a people who seek justice. Our vision is incredibly important because our vision, as you know, reminds us why we exist. It reminds us what we sense God has called us to. And, and talking about our vision really matters at East Van because we're in a place of tra- pastoral transition. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, our vision is bigger than one person. 
our vision is bigger than one pastor, past, present, or future. And so in this series, we've been reminding ourselves, what has God called us to as a community here in East Van? And you can probably say it in your sleep at this point, but our vision is to be a people, a community, where people from all different backgrounds can discover Christ, experience spiritual transformation, and seek justice. What in the world does it mean to seek justice? What comes to mind when you hear that word justice? Maybe you think of a courtroom about victims advocating for justice. Or maybe you think of activists marching on the street saying, we need change. Or maybe you think of dramatic confrontations of systems. People like Rosa Parks or more recently Greta Thunberg. Justice is kind of a sexy topic these days. But as we launch into learning what it means to be a people of justice, we're going to go back to the roots of justice. Our vision, our church's vision is connected to something that goes further back to the vision of God, how God defines justice in the scriptures. And in this message, I want to explore together what are the, what are the roots of justice? And then how are we seeking to live this out as a church family? The Bible talks about justice not as an amorphous philosophy, but as a deeply relational reality. And it is rooted in two things. It's first, it's rooted in God's creation. And second, as we're going to see, it's also rooted in God's character. Now, in God's creation, when we open up the pages of Scripture, we read the story of a God who creates human beings in his image. And right away, we learn that human beings have dignity and value, and that they are created equally before God. This is the core and the foundation of justice, that there is an implicit fairness right from the design of creation. We read how there is a relationship between people and God, people in themselves, people in others, people in creation. And the Hebrew word for this is the word shalom. Shalom is probably one of the most important words and concepts in the entire scriptures. It describes universal flourishing, wholeness and delight, harmonious relationships, or as Cornelius Plantinga Jr. puts it, the way things ought to be. God creates people in his image who treat one another as fellow image bearers. That's, there's a harmony that exists there in all relationships because of that. Now, if that sounds a little bit abstract, here's a picture that I think of when I think of shalom. I don't know if you, how many of you have been to the Vancouver Symphony Orchestra or another symphony orchestra. There's, I don't know, there's probably a, over 100 uh, musicians, dozens of different instruments, and they all come together. They, they're different sounds, but they come together to make something beautiful. 
Something that those sounds weave together in a beautiful harmony and it's resonant and it's beautiful. There's diversity, but it's, it's all, it all comes together in harmony under the, the leadership of a conductor. This is a little picture of what shalom looks like. But if you've read the scriptures, you know that that's not exactly how things turn out. That the Bible tells the story of shalom that is broken, that is, in a sense, vandalized, that human beings rebel, they distrust their great conductor, and they start playing their own songs, and the result is pure chaos. The result is violence and oppression. Groups take advantage of others. And as you know, it's often the weaker that is easier to take, the weaker person, the weaker group is particularly easy to take advantage of. And if you're wondering, wait, where's, the, where's justice in this? We're, we're getting there, just, just hang on, all right? But we need to understand God's vision for how things ought to be. One of the great vivid examples in scripture of oppression is when the Israelites become enslaved. They, they end up in Egypt and they're held captive and they are treated not as people, not as image bearers, but they're treated as animals. They're treated even worse. They are oppressed or they are caught. And here's where this is building towards is how does God respond to people trapped in injustice? What does the God of all creation who who intended for shalom to happen, but instead everything is chaos, there's violence and oppression, how does God respond? Does he say, well, people, life is not fair? Does he say to the Israelites, you know, I prefer to help people who help themselves. And so work hard, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. No, God sees a people who are oppressed and he has compassion on them and he does justice. He rescues them and frees them and this is the first step in restoring shalom. So now I know that was a little bit of heady Old Testament stuff there but stay with me here because here's where justice comes in. Justice is about restoring God's shalom. Justice is any act that steps toward restoring God's shalom where people are treated in the image of God, where we get back to harmonious relationship between people, between families, between communities, between societies. This is what justice is. Justice is restorative so that people can flourish. But justice is also rooted in God's character. Listen to these verses. Psalm 68. I am the father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Justice is rooted in God's character because God sees and identifies with those who are vulnerable. Now I know if you were to meet me for the first time and we were to introduce ourselves, 
Um, I might tell you that, you know, my name, and I might tell you that I'm a husband and a father of four kids, and I live in Vancouver, and I'm a pastor, and these identifiers might come out early. So how does God introduce himself? I am the father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. He identifies with those who are vulnerable in our world. Now, this is radical because in the ancient world, the pagan gods identified with the powerful, with the people at the top of the social order. But the one true living God who created the world identifies with the most vulnerable. And he calls us to be agents of shalom and of justice by having special concern for those who are most vulnerable. In the prophet Isaiah, we read this, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. In the Old Testament, there was something known as the quartet of the vulnerable. They were orphans, widows, immigrants, and the poor. And, he, and uh, Bible scholars tell us they were particularly vulnerable because they had no access to land, which was an important security and safety net in the ancient world. These were the people who fell through the cracks of society. And God calls his people as a reflection of who he is to pay special attention to those who fall through the cracks. And he called them, called us, to do more than charity. Now, don't get me wrong, charity is good and right and proper. But he called us as people of justice to, to go beyond charity and in Proverbs 31, to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And so, what does it mean to be people of justice? It means to ask questions like this. Questions that, to be honest, I don't have the answers to. But we ask these questions not because it's neat and tidy, but because this is what the call of justice entails. Who are the quartet of the vulnerable in our city, in your neighborhood? Who are the people that are falling through the cracks in our society? Where do we see shalom broken? Where do we see people with the inability to get the things they need to flourish according to God's vision? Do we see economic brokenness? Do a few people hold all the wealth while others live in poverty? How can we begin to move towards healing that broken shalom? Are there people that cannot pursue certain callings because of gender or race or ethnicity? Are there certain peoples that are always at the front of the line when it comes to opportunities and other people who are always at the back of the line when it comes to resources and opportunities to flourish? 
Justice is making sure everyone has what they need to be able to flourish to experience God's shalom. There's a long history of Christians recognizing that they have a part to play in God's justice in the world. For example, in the 19th century, in the south of London, Christians, a part of one parish, as I understand, became deeply concerned because they learned more and more about a human slave trade that was happening. And they did not say to themselves, well, I'm not doing anything to participate in that. They actually said, we don't feel right about companies that are profiting from the exchange of human beings. That's, that's not right. Something here is not right. This does not represent God's shalom. And so they started to sow the seeds along with others and powerful voices like William Wilberforce that began to undermine the very human slave trade. Why? As an act of justice to restore God's shalom. Well, I want to transition at this point to talk a little bit, now that we've explored the roots of justice, to talk about how are we as a church endeavoring to live this out? I want to give you a few snapshots. And one is of our Oasis Cafe. And I'm just looking to see if I see uh, John Wong here. Um, I don't see him. But a couple people in our community are very involved in this. John manages the Oasis Cafe. And over a 12-month period in COVID, the Oasis Cafe provided 8,000 meals to people in Vancouver. And its associated ministry, the Kids Care Cafe, which is, which is coordinated by another East Van member, Aaron Pete, gave out 4,500 hampers during this time to people who are vulnerable. But I want to I back up and just give you a little bit of history as to the story of the Oasis Cafe. Many years ago, before I was on staff at 10th, there was a man named Robert who was sleeping outside the doors of our church. Our church only had one location, which was in Mount Pleasant, which still exists today. And someone from our community invited Robert to come and stay at his house. He said, Robert, I have a laneway home, and I want to, I want to give you access to that, and you can stay there for no cost. But for whatever reason, Robert kept returning to the church building. And one morning, when someone went to go wake up Robert in the middle of winter, he didn't wake up. He was cold to the touch and had succumbed to the elements. And there was something that happened inside the leadership of Tenth that said, this is, this is, this is not the way it's supposed to be. How can we be a part of shalom for Robert and for others? And in the next few months, they opened up the church for people to come and stay overnight to provide meals. But here's the thing about the Oasis Cafe. It is not just about giving meals and shelter. It's about creating community and belonging. See, we have an idea that poverty is a lack of resources. But I want to, tell you, I want to share with you something that may be controversial 
Uh, poverty is not primarily about a lack of resources. It's about a poverty of relationships. See, if I were to lose my job today, or you were to lose your source of income tomorrow, many of you would be okay. I would be okay. Because we have a, a network of relationships. Many of you would call me and say, come and stay at our place till you figure out what to do. Let me help. Let me surround you and support you. But people like Robert and so many don't have that. And so what I love about Oasis Cafe is it's a place of belonging, of community, of friendship. And the other thing that I love is that John and others have hired many folks to help run Oasis Cafe, which gives them the dignity of meaningful work. This is a beautiful expression of one way to seek justice as a church. Another beautiful example is our refugee support ministry. I didn't think this would be that emotional, but it's, uh, it is. Our refugee support ministry is currently providing a sense of belonging for refugee claimants of upwards of 200 newcomers. And yes, they are providing food and places to stay and compass cards and all those things, but more than that, they are seeing people as image bearers of God. They are connecting them so that they feel a sense of belonging. Leviticus 19 when a foreigner lives with you in your land, do not take advantage of him. Why would the Bible say that? Is because people were taking advantage of others. Treat the foreigner the same as a native. Love him like one of your own. Remember that you were once foreigners in Egypt. Justice is rooted in the idea that God has done something for us. And now we get to share that with others. One other story of a ministry here at 10th uh, called Livewire. Back in 2011, our church uh, did a consultation with World Vision and others to look at what are the biggest social needs in our city and in our area. And what we discovered was that there were a lot of programs for kids and there were a lot of programs for teenagers, but there was that 10, 11, 12 age, preteens, that there were, there were no programs or services. These were kids that were, in a sense, falling through the cracks. And so we started this ministry, a drop-in ministry, called Livewire. Anyone want to guess who the first employee of Livewire was? Any guesses? Audience participation? Alvin Ram, does that name sound familiar to you? Alvin Ram, uh, our, our beloved pastor here who we sent off to Calgary recently, was the first employee. And Alvin, as only Alvin can do, created such a sense of community. One student told me, Alvin learned all of our names right away. He made us feel like we belonged there. And this student told me that that group made a profound difference in his life. This student is now studying kinesiology at Douglas College. 
and is flourishing. This student's name is Aldrin Avila, who is our current youth worker at East Van. Beautiful story of how this community has tried to walk the, the, the path of justice and with God's help, see shalom restored to people's lives. I'm so grateful for ministries like Inner Hope that is journeying with indigenous youth, providing housing, food, and community. But justice, friends, also involves exploring things where shalom remains broken. I've shared some good news stories, but we want to acknowledge an area of brokenness in Canada that we are facing, and it's our relationship with indigenous brothers and sisters. Later this week, we will mark on September 30th, Orange Shirt Day, the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. And we start by acknowledging truth. We acknowledge the painful history of residential schools. We acknowledge the institutional church had a role in that, in that wrong, in physical and sexual abuse, in cultural genocide, in stolen lands. And we as a church are committed to journeying and listening and learning inviting God to help us know how to seek reconciliation. A little while back, our staff met with a, a woman named Carrie Klassen, a beautiful woman, an indigenous leader who works with the Lutheran Church. And Pastor Ken recently sat down with her to listen to some ideas of how we might step forward in reconciliation. Take a look at this. What counsel would you give our community as we seek to walk this path of truth and reconciliation? We're in the early stages, but we'd love to hear what you would have to say to us and how you would challenge us. Well, I would challenge you guys to make sure you really want to do it because it's not, it's, it's not something, a concept that, oh, bang, okay, I'll, I talked to one person and, oh, this is all great. You know, this has been a process. You know, there's 94 calls in the TRC, mm-hmm. right? So... So there's a lot of calls, and a lot of them have been have been um, fulfilled. Yeah, and five or six to the church, depending on how you count it, I think. Mm-hmm. Exactly, right? I mean, but it's a long process. But within the process, that's where, where people need to get connected again mm-hmm. and to realize, because, I mean, last year was, I think, an eye-opener to, the, to Canada of what re- the realistics of what really happened. And... And the horror and and just the injustice. Because um, there never should be graveyards at a at a school. Like uh, that just astonishes yeah, that me. Was shocking. And what would be some of the work that, that we could do and pursue? Well, I think you know, inviting people over, having a conversation mm-hmm. with you know the homeless. You know, go hang out downtown East Side. Don't be scared of them. You know, because all they want is love mm-hmm. and be shown respect and shown that they're actually human beings and not these just discarded like, oh well, you're a drug addict. Get away from me. We got to look past that. We got to look past the the trauma and the hurt that they are dealing with right now. And it can't be one of these just like quick fix. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a long-term thing. You know, I mean, for me, it was like, you know, like 20 years to 
deal with all this pain and anger and 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 you know not just break down all of a sudden you know because of that but now it gives me the strength to to show people that yes I was broken but I'm okay and with the strength of God's love and and what he's inspired in me gives me the that work to go on you know I mean continually right now with my health issues it's it's hard some days it's really hard but I can't say no to God you know I'm gonna go do that service that he that I keep getting dreams about to, mm. that he sends me dreams to do you need to do this okay and I, and I, I pray okay God I will I honor you whatever you want me to do give me the strength for that and, and then he gave me a, I have a helper now who will help me with that, you know, with the services and stuff like that. And, you know, so I, so, so I always just, I never worry anymore, you know, it's like, because it's in God's hands. He knows what's going to happen. He, he's the boss. So well, thanks for saying yes to, to God, Gary, <laughs> and for being an instrument of, of his healing in the world. Thank you for having me. And, and I hope it helps people, so. That interview is part of about a 30-minute interview with Carrie. If you're interested, you can go on to our website or our YouTube channel and you hear her heartbreaking and yet inspiring story of her own journey. So I encourage you to do that. Well, today we've talked about some really big things. Brokenness and shalom and justice. And it would be tempting to fire you up right now and send you out and say, let's go do justice. But that would probably last about three days. Instead, I want to conclude by reminding you about the source of justice, about the one who enables us to be just people. Today, I want to leave you with remembering that one day, God did something to bring justice and restore shalom. He came to earth. He walked among us. He himself entered the world in the person of Jesus. And Jesus came, and who did he identify with? The most vulnerable. He was the one that began to restore shalom with everyone he met. And then he went to the cross. And he endured injustice so that you and I could experience peace, shalom with God. He experienced injustice so that we could be made just before God. And so now, having been made right with God, we get to join him in pursuing justice and shalom with him in his strength. Hear these words of Micah as we conclude. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Amen.